0: Hey guys, Crunch here with a quick message before the show starts. Michael and I want to encourage all of you to swing over to kickstarter.com and check out the page for TsunamiCon 2015. This is a local independent con happening in Wichita this October. It's three days of gaming, and they have everything— they're covering the gamut from board games and card games to tabletop role-playing games. They'll have some LARPing stuff. They'll have sanctioned tournaments. There's going to be panels. There's going to be musical guests. There's going to be a cosplay contest. They really have everything over at Tsunami Con for this year, 2015. Check them out. Uh, they are in the last two days of funding. They need less than $500 to make TsunamiCon 2015 a reality. If you're in the area, if you are wavering, if you've been on the fence, if you're up for a drive, uh, throw them some coin, buy your tickets, and head down there. There's even some pledge levels if you want to sponsor them, even if you can't go. So check out Kickstarter.com for TsunamiCon 2015 and enjoy today's show. So all that being said, one of the things we wanted to talk about with Rich here was the concept and process of reviving old characters. <laughs> um, so, Yeah, we've been talking about this off pod. We've talked about this for a while now, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Rich, you bring a lot of experience to the table. Uh, you've had so many PCs that you've run with over time. Mm-hmm. I think all of us can share the facts that we have a favorite character, uh, we have a character that we really connected with that we like to go back to. We like to tell those stories and relive those moments. Yeah. And because, uh, specifically in Dungeons and Dragons, but this happens in any role-playing game, when rules change and when new additions come out, sometimes you can't keep playing that same character. Yeah. Or something changes. And it doesn't have the same feel, yeah, uh, it might be the same person, the same name, the same personality, yeah, but the rules don't always let you relive those glory days, yeah. And
1: I'll say that that's, a, that's an excellent point in reflection of my earlier point about how a really good, fun game can be irrelevant of the mechanics. This is one of those exceptions to that rule. If you have something, if you've been playing decades or even just a few years and you want to recreate a, a character type in a different system, whether it's within like an edition of the same system or whether you want to jump from D&D to 13th Age to, you know, Fate or whatever, sometimes the mechanics may not let you get the feel across that you that emotional memory you have of that character as well.
0: Right. And sometimes that's good because sometimes you can evolve the character.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And you can mm-hmm.
0: grow as a player and and grow as a storyteller and a role player. Yeah. Maybe you have to say, well, you know what, I I can't do this thing. So do I either creatively try to get there? Yeah. Or do I push myself to try something new? Yeah, you don't always want to rely on that crutch of a classic character or a classic rule or archetype that you always want to go back to. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so sometimes you have to take that roadblock and use it to learn from, right. to develop yourself. Yes. But sometimes sometimes you just want to have fun with an old character. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I have a a very certain cleric that I have, uh, brought back to life in many, many editions. And Mm -hmm. he's always been a little bit different. Um, sometimes he's been, uh, less of a cleric and more of a fighter. Sometimes he's been, uh, more of a martial artist type character, but he's just a very cool person that I, I have this gaming history with Yeah, that I, I always like to return to him. When I'm feeling nostalgic, yeah, absolutely. And and all of us, whether you've been playing for a month or a year or twenty years, you always have that connection to be it your your first PC that you've made, mm-hmm. be it just a really memorable PC. Yeah. So you're always going to want to go back to that well, and that's fun. That's fun to do. It really can be fun as long as
1: you've as long as you're not taking it to the Munchkiny level where you're playing, you know, Gimli the thirty third, and you're just reskinning the same character every <laughs> single time. That can be less fun for other people at the table. Sure. Um, but revisiting characters, um, I, think, I think it's important when we're talking about mechanics, too, is about that emotional memory. Mm-hmm. You want to get the feel of the character. Yeah. Right? If the, addition, if the additions have changed as much as from first to fifth, you're not going to get the exact mechanics, but you want to get the feel or theme. So you can get the emotional memory of your character that you've created for D&D or any other thing and move it over as long as you feel like you can get that feel right the character that we've been discussing actually is, um, when i was 10 or 11 i was probably younger than that because i think it was before my brother left for the air force i must have been nine i think one of the guys was uh my uh brother steve's friend scott had um asked me about what kind of character i would make for first edition dnd if i wanted to make a character myself instead of this elf yoda e thing that they gave me and i totally loved the idea of a ranger and so um i also loved the idea of a half elf i didn't really want to be a full elf and humans kind of sucked in first and second edition so the half elf really worked for me and so we made up this character And I was nine. So his name was Eagle Eye um, because, you know, I was nine.
0: You don't need to explain that anymore. I was nine. (laughs) Yep. It makes perfect sense.
1: Exactly. So we made this character. And, of course, it was the first character that I made on my own, using my own imagination and, you know, taking that imaginative template and laying it over this game system. I will never forget that character. And back in the first edition days, he actually had a really good charisma, and where a lot of people use charisma as a dump stat in certain other editions, and even in, say, second. In first edition in particular, high charisma was key to survival, in that if you had a high charisma, you got really powerful and large numbers of cohorts that followed you around mm-hmm. and if you look at any of the old school modules they assume it's you and five of your buddies and 45 of the hirelings that you brought from town <laughs> right if you look at say um the tournament module expedition of the barrier peaks there's 15 characters they expect to be played <laughs> to go through expedition of the barrier peaks to survive this was a tournament module so freaking like gary guy guys was running 15 people around a table yep through this tournament module right so so what happened with eagle eye is as he got up in levels he ended up getting all these cohorts so where we have animal companions in third edition and fourth edition back in the day it's just rangers got really cool stuff like fighters would get like really high level fighters and maybe a spellcaster or a cleric or two or clerics would get paladins that followed them or whatever rangers got stuff like hippogriffs and intelligent giant lynxes right and cool stuff that followed them around they were the best best cohort charts and so they were really the Beastmaster from back in the day, but it wasn't a class mechanic. it wasn't a class trade at all. It was just the in the game as you go up, you could get these followers right. and Rangers just happened to get different ones so I had two giant lynxes i had a I had an eagle. I had a Hippogriff. I think I had Beastmaster-ish weasels at some point. Like, I had a whole group, right? And in D&D back in the day, too, he got to 12th level, which was like 40th in any normal right. edition because it took forever yeah. for us to go up in levels, and it took years. So he got to 12th. He was like a ranger lord, and he had a kingdom and, and a bunch of stuff. It was great. But in later editions, it was a little hard to make him. Like Rangers in 3rd Edition, if you had a, you had an animal companion, you had one. And um, you didn't really have this whole group of things. 4th Edition was kind of the same. By 4th Edition, they were really starting to understand the importance of action economy and action economy breaking in 3rd Edition, and so they tightened that way down in 4th, and I just couldn't kind of get what I wanted. And being a really charismatic character, I always ran him as kind of a Captain America ranger who led men and animals into battle and that kind of stuff. So 5th edition, particularly with the spellless ranger variant, where they exchanged out the spells for the ranger for the battlemaster mm-hmm. m- uh, maneuvers that they have in fifth edition for the fighter battlemaster. I couldn't wait to get Eagle Eye on the table because I could now run a charismatic character who had feats like inspiring leader, had warlord like combat maneuvers that he could use in battle. The Beastmaster, the Beastmaster is is mechanically sound. The rest of the ranger is terrible, and the Beastmaster itself. It just doesn't look fun to play. Mechanically, it's balanced. I've tried to fix problems with it and try to figure out what the problem with it is. All I know is that I've looked at it and I don't want to play it and I'm an enormous, enormous Ranger Beastmaster fan and if I am looking at the Beastmaster and I don't, I just gut don't want to play it, then something's wrong. And uh, I had a long discussion with Dan Dillon who's a uh, developer for for Wolfgang Bauer at um, Cobalt Press because we were talking about some stuff I'm doing for him and one of the things we talked about was this Ranger... And I think I figured out what the problem is. The problem that I have with the Beastmaster in 5th is that it is written as a weapon. It is simply an extension of your arm. There is a single sentence of the five or six paragraphs that says the animal will attempt to follow your commands as well as it can. But the rest of it, the, I think the sentence right after that says you can use your action to make it attack or to have it do the help action or the blah, 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 blah. And that's it. It doesn't talk about it being a per, being a thing, being an NPC, being a, being a companion to your ranger. It doesn't talk about how to role play this thing as something that's more than just, oh, well, it died. I guess I'll go get another one. And that's what bothers me about that Beastmaster build. So I'm not sure how I'm going to quote-unquote fix it because mechanically it's actually pretty balanced but I may end up writing some articles on like how you can incorporate this or how, as a DM, you can let your ranger do some fun things. A, a lot of a lot of gamers will, a lot of DMs who've had some experience, of course they'll let your chimpanzee pick somebody's pocket because that's fun. But we're coming out of an age of heavy crunch third and super almost overly well-balanced fourth that some DMs maybe don't have that skill or experience or they worry that that's going to overpower it in some way instead of erring on the side of fun. So um, may kind of work with that. So aside from that part of it, everything else about the Spellless Ranger is is eagle eye to a T, and I cannot wait to get him back on the table again, even better than I think he was. I used a lot of imagination and theater of the mind in first edition to play that kind of Captain America y leader, and now I have
0: mechanics to back it up, which should be tons of fun. Well, I think you hit on something really interesting about fifth edition and i've kind of said this in previous podcasts on our tabletopic shows the game itself is incredibly balanced within its own boundaries and it works really well with what it's trying to do uh-huh. but there are a lot of things that don't have the same feel that uh, players from an older generation got from dungeons and dragons Mm-hmm. And I think some of that stems from the fourth edition evolution. Interesting. You you said this earlier in, as we were talking that a lot of stuff from fourth edition still exists in fifth edition. Mm-hmm. It's just called something different, so people don't realize that it's something different. Yes. And I didn't see it as much until I started digging through the Dungeons Master Guide mm-hmm. for fifth edition. Yeah. Um, but then I started seeing behind the curtain and how much of the fourth edition rule set still exists, Mm -hmm. just in different terminology. Yes. And I think that's where, specifically, Rich, in your example with the ranger, that that's what the problem is. Because in, in fourth edition, everything was really, it really felt like a video game to me. And in that context, I think that's where the animal companions or the pets were just a thing that did something that you wanted them to do. Right. Uh, the the role-play elements of, this is my companion, we've been adventuring together, we have this relationship between me and my wolf, or me and my chimp, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That storytelling dynamic got lost a little bit. And I think that has carried over into the ranger as it stands right now.
1: With the ranger, I 100% agree with you. There are some actual crunch mechanic things that I think slip through the net. Um, primal primeval awareness or whatever is an absolutely waste and so is hide in plain sight but that's a mechanic thing that may have just gotten through something and 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 maybe somebody can point out that i might be wrong but on those particular two i I think i'm feeling pretty solid on my uh, assessment of them from a role-playing standpoint i think what they did in fifth which is fourth's biggest downfall was the lack of fluff description and teaching people how to game. People talked a lot about, oh, skill challenges just removed role playing altogether. I, I don't agree with that at all. And I wrote actually a blog about in defensive skill challenges. The problem that they had was without the fluff, without the things to inspire the imagination and just the mechanics that they crunched that prevented new players from evil understanding that this is more than just, you know, hit your macro button and attack with your, you know, sword attack that actually looks mechanically exactly like the wizard's fire attack so in fifth edition i think they removed that for most of the most of the stuff the ranger though you're right the beastmaster ranger needs more flavor of what it is and more kind of leading dms into helping characters feel like this is something interesting to do I think the ranger in and of itself as a class needs some needs some tightening but um some of the other classes i, I, I i'm not sure if i entirely agree with you that this is a systemic problem across the board because my experience is they took the stuff that actually did work in 4th and brought it into 5th. For example, cantrips that actually do something. That was a mm-hmm. that's something that has been bugging me for 35 plus years. I'm like, why do I why do I have a wizard who needs to carry a crossbow around because I'm out of magic missiles? That has bugged me since I was 10. It's mechanically the same. How much does a crossbow do? D10? Great. Give me a D10 I don't care. Don't even give it fire or lightning. I don't even care. Just make it look like I'm casting a stupid spell instead of carrying a freaking crossbow around. So so that that idea of these at-will things were a cool idea. But 4th had these presentation issues, I think, that 5th is incorporating more of the free flow of that older system in. Eh, just some things kind of fell through the cracks, I think.
0: Yeah, you make a real good point there. And that's actually something we, we've talked about at length uh, on our other episodes. Specifically the whole... Uh, a uh, wizard being out of magic missile spells. Mm. I think stuff like that is things that we as experienced players and GMs have house-ruled. Yeah, forever. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. and, and now it's just being codified into it's the way the rule works. Right. Um, and, and that is one of the things that I really do like about 5th edition. I like a lot of the new rules. Uh, I like a lot of the individual elements of the new edition. Mm-hmm. But certain things do just kind of get under my skin doesn't feel right like something about the ranger didn't feel right for you absolutely yeah but that's the cool thing about the game we can just rewrite it and that's the that's the thing and that's
1: one of the reasons why i mean if everything worked exactly the way that it was and it was 100 great i wouldn't have columns on tribality right so if i didn't feel like there were things that i could add to the game either to expand out the game or to fix problem or offer not to fix them to offer up possible solutions you could try at your table, then I wouldn't be writing stuff at Tribality, right? I'm not writing, again, I'm not writing stuff up there to say, you need to use this. This This is the way they should have done it. That's not what I'm ever saying. Almost ever. I can't now. Somebody will find something <laughs> where I actually said that. But I, I try not to say that because it's not. That's it's irrelevant. All I'm doing is taking look. I got these ideas, and I wrote up all these notes about all these monsters for this thing here. And if you hate the monsters or you think the challenge rating should be seven instead of eight, for, go for it because that's what I'm going to do with the monster manual myself anyway. If I get challenge ratings ten instead of seven, that's what I'm going to do. So go for it absolutely yeah there's there's always issues right there's always challenges but that's what
0: house rule that's why house ruling is awesome right that's why being able to take some player agency and say all right here's what the rules are creatively i want to do this this and this mm-hmm. do the rules let me do that do i need to make up a new rule mm-hmm. do i need to adjust a rule to fit a little bit. Or hand wave it all together and just forget rules. Exactly. And that's what's so cool. I mean, you can't do that in a video game, but you can do that in a role-playing game. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so all of that being said, uh, let's turn back to Eagle Eye for a minute. Mm -hmm. Specific to this conversation and to the conversation we've been having in a billion and a half emails offline, (laughs) Rich, you actually very recently recreated Eagle Eye in 5th edition, Mm -hmm. using the alternate ranger rule set we just talked about, as a 20th-level character. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that
1: experience? Sure. First of all, I was inspired to do that because of your guest appearance on the Dungeon Masters block, talking about, uh, what was the episode called? Leveling Up, I think? Yep. And, you know, I teach a lot of new players how to play the game, and so um, a lot of times we're playing low-level or even low-mid-level campaigns just because people need to learn the mechanics and whatnot. And I never really think about high-level campaigns, and I think a lot of it is because I feel like in in some of the earlier editions, the game kind of breaks down at at higher levels with some of the math and stuff, and so it can be a little bit of a challenge. And I'm just not as experienced at doing super high-level campaigns. But as soon as you started talking about it, I was so excited to, like, just do some one-shots, get some of my more skilled role players together, drop on a table, say, go nuts, 20th level, pack it out, here's a bunch of magic items, you know, let's just do something epic. Um, Sounds like so much fun. So uh, after discussing it directly with you offline, I started working on um, Eagle Eye. And again, I think that the the core of it really is remaking this character. It was the emotional memory. What do I remember about him the most? One, that he had animal companions. And two, that he was a diplomat, right? So he was a very charismatic character. Yes, he was a ranger. Yes, he had lots of experience in the wilderness. But it wasn't this kind of grizzled, war-torn kind of character i and now that the lord of the rings movies have come out i maybe seem a little bit more like kind of aragorn right ranger leader of men kind of a thing um the fact that he was a half elf too he actually ended up falling into that natural diplomat between humans and elves and then the animal kingdom because back in the day the giant lynxes were intelligent magical beasts if they call them in third edition he had two of them so yellow fur and brown paw yellow fur was a diplomat and uh, brownpaw was his younger brother who was more of kind of a brash warrior type uh, fighter for want to go out in the world and do all kinds of stuff so in remembering the characters and the interactions and stuff that's where I approached the character from and he had certain magic items that were very key to him so those were the main things so he actually wore plate mail uh, back in the day but mechanically I can't do that now And it wasn't something I needed to spend feats on. That wasn't something that was important to me. So, again, emotional memory of the character. Uh, I started off by doing um, just a straight-up Ranger build. Kind of put the Beastmaster archetype to the side. I decided that I was just going to go with the Beastmaster archetype, but I was just going to leave the the Beastmaster-specific mechanics onto the side for a while because they were almost irrelevant to the feel, and they just bugged me. So I I created the actual ranger himself at 20th level using the spellless ranger variant that Wizards of the Coast put out. So it was finding what kind of maneuvers would he use. It would be stuff to help other people mostly, to be defending. One of his magic items that he had was a plus 5 defender back in the day. Uh, Fifth edition, the bonuses only go to plus 3 now, but there is a plus 3 defender, so he has that, um, Talon. Um, He had a a rod of lordly might as well, which is an extremely versatile item, which is a pretty amazing thing to have. And then at the time, he also had a helmet of underwater action and a ring of free action back in the day that allowed him to, um, do some aquatic adventures, which almost never happened, but, um... Sometimes, rarely. So they don't have those in fifth, so I went ahead and grabbed him just something called the Cloak of the Manta Ray, which basically does a lot of the same stuff, gives him a swim speed, breathe water, that kind of thing. And then I set him I set his kingdom on a coast. His kingdom had been established more in the center of the Greyhawk continent. But I decided to put him on a coast and play up this kind of connection with the sea elves and the humans and the elves. And then in talking to you, you gave me this decades-long character-changing idea. I have now completely redefined this, this epic character in my life based on something you said, which was that the kingdom that he rules is a dual rulership between himself and Yellowfur, the giant intelligent lynx, and that the country... Is actually a country that has humanoids as well as awakened or uplifted or whatever you want to call it animals that people it. And the ruler of this, the rulers of this country are always a binary rulership. And so, not only is Yellowfur, who was the the one of the many animal companions he had, he he was the one I decided to choose. Not only is he a friend, he's also a ruler and a companion. And now he's a now he's an important NPC in the world, and not just I can use my attack action to have him make an attack kind of definition. That will now be who he is for the rest of my life. Um, I can't wait to write stories about it and this unique kind of kingdom that's set up under that kind of rulership and who he is and how it got to be that spa- that place. And then I can play in these other animal companions he had, but as NPCs, like, Brown Brownpaw ends up being his little- younger brother. And he's a friend of mine, but I don't have to have him mechanically be a companion in the way that I did in first edition with the cohorts. He's more of a one of the many NPCs that are in my kingdom. So folding in the magic items were important because there were a few of them that were very, very key. And then um, he went through the entirety of the Vault of the Drow against the Giant Slave Lords run. And so I used that as the cornerstone of kind of who he was as a character, where he got some of his magic items from. I redefined the Rod of Lordly Might to have come from one of the drow queens that they defeated. Talon, the plus three defender, is actually like Excalibur. It's the symbol of rulership of both peace and war in the kingdom itself. The longbow that he uses allows him to, once a day, create an arrow of undead slaying that was given to him by an elven kingdom that he had stopped a lich from destroying them. The Cloak of the Manta Ray was a gift from the Sea Elf Kingdom that's off his coast. So I was able to kind of fold all these things into some of the seeds of his actual adventures back in the day while also creating, again, that emotional memory of the adventures I wanted him to go on in some ways. And when he's 20th level, I get to do whatever I want, right? So I get to make that history, but I get to flesh it out in a way that gives me that feel. And again, though the mechanics are a little crunchy and weird on the Beastmaster for me, there is a reason you gave me that suggestion of what to do with yellow fur. Do you
0: want to talk about that a little bit? Well, before I go into uh, what that reason is, uh, again, foreshadowing, I think a couple things I wanted to bring up here on, on this topic. First off, I think it's really cool that my little... Random idea I threw off in an email had such a big impact on your character. Absolutely. And thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a really cool element uh, of the gaming hobby there that you and I at that point had not actually spoken. We've never met and we were just emailing and you're like, Hey, this is a really cool idea. <laughs> and the fact yes. that it factored uh, so largely into a character that's been so important to you. That's just an awesome element of our hobby and, and what uh, gaming and role playing can do here. To connect people across the world absolutely what's important to look at when it comes to reviving characters and changing editions is you you said this phrase many many times the emotional feel what what the character meant mm-hmm. to you what the character did or you imagined them doing mm-hmm. back when i think uh third or 3.5 edition was out I remember there being a lot of documents about converting over old characters mathematically, the new classes, the new spells, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that made sense at the time because 3rd edition needed that focus, and that's what it was all about. Yeah. We don't have any of those official documents that say, here's how you make X character in 5th edition. Right. And I'm sure that out there on the forums, on the internet, people have done that. Yeah. But I think the smarter way to do that is what you have just described to us, going back to that emotional resonance of, Mm -hmm. in this case, who Eagle Eye really was, what he meant to you, what Mm -hmm. you had the sense of him doing, the feeling of his actions. Uh, I think what our listeners can take away from this uh, is that when you are reviving an old pc a lot of times it's more important to think about the narrative think about the story mm-hmm. uh, think about what this pc did or you told that he did in the backstory or something you mm-hmm. narrated in between actual game sessions and pull out those really cool moments that defined the character mm-hmm. and then figure out how those fit into the new rule set right absolutely that's exactly what you did here with Eagle Eye Rich, and, and that is a great model to follow. Nice. Um, another thing to think about is, I talked about this a little bit with DM's block in that leveling up episode. That was the match that started this whole thing. When when you jump up to a 20th level character, y- you don't have all those experiences happen organically. Yes, You don't have the, oh we actually fought the Lich King for three or four sessions for a summer, and here's what really happened, and here's how I got those items. Yes. You have the ability to just say, this happened, here's how it ended up, here's the result, here's the consequences, here's the pros, here's the cons. That is something that, as a storyteller, I really enjoy doing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Being able to experience a story in real time is awesome but sometimes the ability to just say here's my character here's how he got to this point let's play with him yes. is really fun too absolutely I-, I think that's the the compromise between video games and role-playing games <laughs> especially when you are an experienced player or game master being able just to say here's the backstory, go crazy, do whatever you want, drop him into a game and let's have some fun. That's when people like us can cut loose. Yeah. That's us just going bonkers at the table. If we had started a first level fifth edition game and you had brought a first, edi- uh, a first level half elf ranger to the table and we ran all the way through level 20, we would have an amazing character. We would have a year's worth of stories and experiences and cool magic items. Yeah. But it would probably be very different than the eagle eye you built and emailed to me the other day.
1: Yeah, it's very different. And, and DM Mitch mentioned this during that character creation. Uh, that There was a DM Dungeon Master block we did that was for the players that he was talking about that kind of specific thing people come to the table saying, this is who my character is, but they don't allow the space for who will this character become. Mm -hmm. They expect him to be like, if I came to the table with the first level, Ranger called him Eagle Eye and wanted him to have all the same experiences again, that's not going to happen. Right. And if I don't allow that openness of being able to say, well, what is, what is Caleb going to experientially offer me as a DM to take this in new and interesting places? I just want to be this guy. Then I start to expect you to follow my story arc and everybody else at the table. And then I get frustrated and everybody else gets frustrated. And then the game ends at level two.
0: Exactly.
1: So being able to open yourself up and be able to say, like, I want to see where this guy can go. And see where you start. Every good story starts with a character in one emotional state and ends with them in a different state. Mm -hmm. If you look at Han Solo in Star Wars... He's clearly in one emotional frame of mind in the cantina, and by the end of Star Wars, he is a rebel that has saved the universe because he has made a very long and hard decision to stop being more self-focused and start doing something else. If you're deciding you want to play Han Solo, you may want to play him as the guy at the end of the movie, or you more likely want to play him as the guy at the beginning of the movie. If you play the guy at the beginning of the movie and you do not allow yourself to grow and change during the game, no one's going to want to play with you because you're just going to be self-focused and not want to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, there is some balance. The DM should try and see what the players want to do and help them out with creating the character and the story that they want to that they want to do, but players are not passive in this this this
0: dynamic. Right? right? We all get to do this kinds of things, right? So Yeah. Well, that's one of the cool things about one-shots. With a one-shot, you can make a snapshot of a PC. Mm-hmm. If you just want to play the selfish smuggler Han Solo, you can do that in a one shot. If you just want to be Batman, if you just want to be Wolverine. That's a one that's a one shot. Yes. But when you want to play a dynamic, evolving character who you experience a story with, then you have to be willing to share things back and forth and adapt to what happens. Now as as a game master, I love when my player comes to me and says, Here's my character concept, here's a first level character, here's where I'm thinking he will go. Here's what I think she will become as she levels up. Yes. Here's how her backstory fits into her motivation and what she wants to do eventually. Mm-hmm. Because I will take that and run with it. Yeah. But I don't treat that as an outline I have to follow. Yeah. That's that's something that I can throw back at the player and say, here's a really cool dilemma that you need to figure out. Yes. Here's your here's the motivation you told me. Here's something that challenges that motivation <laughs> and what happens. And from those sort of really dynamic, challenging, cool role playing moments, mm-hmm. we get something entirely new. Yes, I entirely
1: agree. If 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 the listeners are interested in any of the stuff that we're talking about, then you should go listen to the leveling up episode with Caleb, because it's awesome. And then you should go also try and find the for the players block episode at D M B. Because uh, mm-hmm. that we talk about all this stuff that you can
0: use, and uh, hopefully it'll give you some inspiration um, to do some stuff with. So, definitely. So now let let's get to what we've been teasing. Here. <laughs> uh, we we have uh, thrown out some heavy foreshadowing elements uh, during this conversation. Um, so. At this point, let's make an official announcement as to what we are talking about here, uh, what we've been emailing about feverishly behind the scenes. This is going to happen sometime later this year, probably a uh, late summer release. Mm -hmm. We are putting together an epic level D&D 5th edition crossover actual play uh, Mm one-shot. We are going to be... Featuring uh, an actual play, I will be the GM. Uh, We will have Michael from our show. We will have Rich playing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe we're going to have Sean.
1: That's right. Sean from Tribality as well. And DM Mitch and DM Chris from the Dungeon Masters block playing, as I understand it,
0: brothers, which should be hilarious. Yes. Uh, This is going to be a one-shot 20th level in the 5th edition rule set. Mm -hmm. All of the bits and pieces we've been talking about with Eagle Eye, everybody is bringing something of that caliber and level to the table. Yes. Everybody is bringing an epic, dynamic hero that has years and years of experience Uh, We are making them from scratch and (laughs) plopping them into this world that I will be in charge of mastering the chaos. I am so happy I'm not running this. (laughs) I think I regret offering to do it at this point, but it is going to be a hell of a good time. So what's going to happen here is we will get together and we will play this amazing game, but then we're going to go a couple steps further because we're gluttons for punishment and we love you (laughs) listeners so goddamn much. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, after the game, um, well, first off, let me say this. The actual play will host uh, here on the RPG Academy podcast like we always do. Uh, this is going to be probably at least three, maybe four to five episodes, depending on how long we play.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we will be releasing oh. those uh, later this summer. Uh, then after the game, all of us will get together over on DM's block, and we're going to record uh, a couple episodes as a wrap-up. We're going to talk about the game itself. We're going to talk about the things that happened during the game. We're going to talk about me accepting this monumental task (laughs) of trying to wrangle all these people together in a 20th level epic game. Herding 20th level cats, sir. That's what you decided. On a personal level, I've run epic level games many times, but never in 5th edition.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. So
0: this is my first time actually dealing with all these giant things that I've seen in the monster manual and, and DMG. <laughs> Be awesome. And bringing them into reality. So, um Chris and Mitch are going to host us over on DM's block to do the wrap up, do the questions, mm-hmm. basically give you guys as listeners, a look behind the curtains into what's really happened. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that... As a a prequel, almost, I
1: think we've decided to do, we are going to be posting over on Tribality.com, we're going to be posting short backgrounds of all the characters that we're going to be using before the game starts, along with possibly a little filler from Caleb about kind of the world that we're in or kind of what Mm -hmm. our starting situation will be. So you guys can go there, you can see the characters we've made, what we're doing with them, how we develop them, you can see a little bit about what we're leading into, and then then you can just drop right into the drop right into the actual play pod in the same space that we're going to be starting in. Um, with other actual play pods, you don't know the characters as well, kind of what the stats are. If you want to print up the character sheets and follow along, go for it. And then you can also shoot us tweets and stuff about how we're doing stuff wrong. That'd be great. <laughs> we love that.
0: Yes, I I will say right now that uh, as a GM, I um, am very improv heavy, and I'm becoming more of uh, a zero prep, all improv, behind the GM screen kind of person. I'm definitely going to have to go back to my roots and do some prep for this game, but there is going to be a lot of improv and crazy things happening at the table, so... Uh, feel free to tell me everything I did wrong, <laughs> but I also hold the right to say, but it was damned entertaining. So be quiet. Right. Um. <laughs> exactly. I think
1: this is something, I think the great thing about actual play podcasts, there's a lot of stuff you can learn from other DMs. If you don't have another DM to play with and you're the only one DMing your group and nobody else wants to do it or, or maybe has the skill or the time to do it. Listening to actual play podcasts, you will learn either how to do awesome things or how to not do things the way they did it. I have been playing, obviously, for a long time. Listening to um, Cat Murphy on the one-shot campaign, the Star Wars campaign, she is really, really good. Her ability to balance knowledge of the Star Wars universe and mechanics with I don't care, and get the story moving, and make it fun and interesting, is, is brilliant. And I think that... Um, There's a lot of things you can do wrong, quote unquote, as far as the rules are concerned. But as you guys say, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you guys can learn a lot,
0: hopefully from us being ridiculous and and uh, seeing what Caleb is going to throw at us. Definitely. Yeah, Cat Murphy and James D'Amato from One Shot and Campaigns are two of my absolute favorite GMs to listen to and work with. I've had the great pleasure to meet them personally, and you can just learn so much from them. As people, as GMs, their skill level is outstanding. Compared to them, I'm the worst GM in the planet, so... uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But, you know, that being said, I've done this for a long time, and I think we're going to have a hell of a lot of fun with this game. And, yeah, learn from Mm -hmm. my mistakes and learn from the few things that I might do right if we get lucky. So, yeah, that is all going to (laughs) happen later this year. Um, I mean, I say later this year, but, I mean, you guys are going to be hearing this within a couple months. Uh, we're putting this together pretty quickly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is probably going to all happen with the launch of the RPG Academy Kickstarter for a Catacon, which is happening later this year as well. And I bring that up only because if I don't say that, uh, Michael is contractually obligated to punch me in the face. So... Uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for uh, more release information about this epic game and uh, its relation to our catacomb Kickstarter. There is going to be a lot of information coming at you in the show notes uh, with these shows here, a lot about rich, a lot about tribality. And as we go forward, please, 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 Swing over to Tribality, get lost in that rabbit hole. There is so much amazing content over there that, that Rich has given us, that everyone else on Tribality has given us. This was an absolute pleasure of two hours spent here with you, Rich. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on with us.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Caleb. You're very welcome. I had a great time. It was it was an honor. I, I love your guys' podcast, and I'm always honored when somebody asks me to come on and,
0: and hear me ramble on about wax poetic about uh, about gaming. It's always fun to talk with other people. There is going to be everything in the show notes about all the websites we've mentioned uh, and all the social media where you can find Rich on. Uh, before we wrap up here, Rich, do you have any plugs you want to make? Any of your social media, anything else that we haven't mentioned yet? Sure. Um, you can get a hold of me. If you want to
1: shoot me an email, you can get a hold of me at rich at richhowardauthor.com. In addition to that, you can get a hold of any of the Tribality authors, just info at tribality.com, and then put in the the subject line if you want to talk to Sean or you want to talk to JM. Or JM is unfortunately not with us anymore because he's working on developing some of the stuff that he wrote in his columns into actual um, fully fleshed-out supplements now. So he's doing that pretty much full-time. Um, so you can get a hold of us through that. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Google+. I'm taking a look over at Tumblr, but I haven't really gotten kind of much into that right at the moment. I'm on Facebook as well. Tribality does have a Patreon. Um, if you like all the stuff that you have over there shooting over there and and throwing us a dollar a month um is really something that means a lot to us it lets us know that what we're doing over there is stuff that you guys enjoy it just uh, we really appreciate it i mean i also have a patreon um if you like uh, aquatic specific stuff and the things that i've been producing um not just on tribality but um the podcast that i've been guesting on and and all the other work that i've been doing for freelance work please feel free to come over and support me there um i'll put a plug in that um the rpg academy and uh, the dungeon masters block also
0: have patreons so go over there and support them man they're they're doing awesome stuff cool well thank you very much for those kind words and your time today rich uh everyone else like i said hit all these websites in the show notes support all these people uh this is an outstanding example of uh, resources out there in the community and uh, that is gonna be it thanks for listening thanks caleb take care have a good day guys
2: thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast the flagship program of the rpg academy network if you enjoy what we do here